Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to research that improves health, reduces recovery times, and brings new treatments and therapies to our area before they are available elsewhere. More information is at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. In today's program, we're on the road for a Smart Talk road trip from the historic Allenberry Resort near Boiling Springs in Cumberland County. Over the next hour, we'll discuss the history of the recently renovated Allenberry Resort, economic development and tourism in Cumberland County, fly fishing in the world-renowned Yellow Breaches Creek, and a campaign to save the lake in Boiling Springs. Joining us for this first segment of the program is Mike Kennedy, who is the owner of Allenberry Resort. Mr. Kennedy, welcome to the program. Thank you. And thank you very much for having us today. I mean, we don't often get an opportunity to broadcast from a setting like this, but uh, this is just so beautiful and full of history. Again, thank you very much for having us today. Thank you. So, you are the new owner of, uh, of Allen Bear. We say new. That's a relative term. Sure. How long have, uh, have you owned it? Sure. So uh, my family and I purchased the property from the Hines in August of last year. Okay. So August of two, 2016. Uh, our plan was to try to rehabilitate and be open by in one year. So we hit that date. Thankfully, we had some great subcontractors and uh, planners. And um, so we, we hit our goal of getting open in a year. Um, we have been very thankful for the local outpouring of support. Um, the phone rings off the hook. We're just staffing up. We're going through a hiring process and um, building our team. And we can hardly keep up with the local demand which is fantastic. Uh, we really didn't know what to expect. Um, and with the support of the Cumberland County and um, other local, you know, interests, we, we see a great future here. So what was your vision? So our vision was a little bit random, a little hectic. Um, so I have those visions every yeah, day. Random yeah, visions. The, visions, the visions are not well healed uh, in my mind. But so... We love Cumberland County. Um, I was born here. My parents, my father came from Ohio. My mom came from New Jersey. They sort of met in the middle. And, um, you know, my wife and I have been married for 23 years. And when we, when we first got married, she said, do you think we could ever move somewhere else? You know, try something else out. And I'm just really sold on what central Pennsylvania is and, and the roots that we've sort of set down here. So... The vision when this came available was it was way too big for us, right? Too big a project. Um, Kathy Hines, who I saw here somewhere. There she is. Oh. Kathy's daughter, Cricket, approached us before the auction um, and thought that we would be a good fit for the project. We were able to make a deal. And the idea was that you can't replace this location. It's just gorgeous. It is. You can't replace the historical significance of the buildings. Um, a lot of the, you know, there were three generations of Heinz here that, you know, built the project, built the property up, saw it through, and, uh, you know, lived their lives here. But the children had moved on and things had changed. So we had to put the love back into it that Charles originally put in in 1944, um, Kathy's father-in-law and see how it would all shake out. So I think the vision was to keep what was great, take out what was tired, and just put a whole new energy to it and see what happens. Well, I, I think you've been very successful. So Thank that you. random vision has turned yeah. out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but you mentioned Heinz, the Heinz family. There only have been several owners of this property. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back because, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier when I was reading my script that uh, 
when you say Allenberry Resort, the word historic almost just tumbles all out of your mouth uh, yeah. before Allenberry. It's one of those places in central Pennsylvania that has so much history that uh, you have to describe it as historic Allenberry Resort. But there only have been several families who have owned this property. Let's go back to the 1700s. Right. Crockett's. Davy Crockett. Now, we all know that Davy Crockett was uh, a congressman from Tennessee and, uh, of course, probably better known as an outdoorsman, a frontiersman, died at the Alamo. Uh, but his uncle, James, was the first owner of this property, right? Correct. Correct. What do you know about James Crockett? So I don't know a lot about James Crockett, but um, speaking with Kathy and John and the family, when you look at uh, the history and what James Crockett and his family first came and took the land grant from William Penn's uh, nephews, I believe, um, there was all kinds of uh, commerce that went on here in uh, Boiling Springs and Carlisle being the, you know, county seat and so forth. A lot of these guys made their money making moonshine. Right, so the still house. Where's the still? Yeah, the still house. <laughs> the still house is it's on legal the, in Pennsylvania now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's on the creek, and it's the oldest building on the property, late 1700s. Um, and it was called the still house because there was a whiskey still attached to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's farming and and uh, different types of commerce, but the whiskey making was really where the money was. Probably still is. <laughs> yeah, you probably so, could expand that yeah. and play upon that. But yeah. Yeah, the Crockett's did lay out some some farm on, the, I don't know how many acres it was then. Yeah. Uh, I want to say 56, something like well, that. Well, it's 56 now. Kathy okay. could say, I think um, originally uh, there was the Fairfield, uh, which this hall is named after Fairfield. That was the original plot, I believe. And it was over 100 acres combined. Mm -hmm. So all told, not including yourself, but including the Hines and the Crockett's, how many owners have there been of Allenberry? I'm going to say five. Uh, well, the Hineses, so Kathy, help me out here. I don't know whether you're going to hear that or not, but uh, it, it, it's, I think you're, you're talking about five or six. Five. Well, yeah. like seven. Seven? Okay. So not a whole lot in yeah. uh, over, over 200 years. Yeah. So uh, today, Allenberry, when I say today, last uh, you know, 50 years or so, people have thought of Allenberry as more than just history, mm -hmm. thought of it as an entertainment place, a place to come for dinner, a place to come for show. When did that all begin? So uh, Charles Hines in 1944 bought the property from the Sadlers. And the Sadlers were a prominent Carlisle family that used the property as their party place. Um, they did all the murals and all the, you know, this was a dairy barn they refit into sort of a party barn. Um, so Charles was a very entrepreneurial young guy. They took an interest in him. Uh, they took a risk on him. The story is that they sold the property to him in 1944 for $14,000. Mrs. Sadler sold the furniture in the mansion to Mrs. Hines for $14,000. So the property was a gift. Yeah. And so Charles, you know, was a caterer, uh, essentially, and he decided, you know, this would be a place that he could turn into a gathering spot and also cater out of it. He catered to the state house and senate and so forth so he was a very enterprising guy and he was all about driving revenue here uh he got into the uh theater and built the playhouse which was a very unique you know thing to do at the time in boiling springs but they did a great job the heinz family over the years of attracting entertainers here mm. um, and, and that big name entertainers. and big name entertainers yeah. and that was really their interest so with all that history and everything that has been renovated and the way it looks now, and a lot of it's been restored back to, I don't know if it's original look, but at least a look of maybe 100, 200 years ago. Yeah. Do you have a mission? What, what's your mission? 
I, you know, I don't know if I have a mission. I believe very much in letting, you know, having a plan, treating people and property respectfully and letting things sort of evolve, right? So when we got into this project, we hired an architect that, um, great guy, he put a lot of the lines on the paper and got us the permits and so forth, but uh, between um, a small group of us, we just sort of went. It was what I would call a build design, right? So instead of a design build, we designed as we went. And there was uh, two inches of concrete parging on top of the stone walls, you know? I, I heard. We discovered that <laughs> and we're pulling it off. And we spent a lot more attention to, you know, bringing back what was at one time beautiful than we did in adding new things. We had to add an elevator. You know, we had to add a new pool. We had to add certain things for guests, um, you know, moving around the property and for guest enjoyment. But really, when we found something significant, like these are not original floors, but they were probably put in in the 40s. Mm. You know, we just, hey, it's scuffed up. Let's scuff them up and, and let them go. Um, so to answer your original question, a mission, I want this property, you know, people believed in it over the years. It's so beautiful, you just couldn't recreate it. So I want this property to far outlive us and, you know, just always be a place where people feel welcome. When we travel um, around, there's very few resorts that you go to today where it's a super welcoming effect. And so if I have a mission, that would be it that, you know, we've put the energy into this property. Let's sort of get out of the way. Let the professionals manage it. But always preach uh, the welcoming, uh, you know, sort of serenity that Allenberry can offer to the, the staff so that when guests come, there's no confusion as to what the mission may be, mm. you know. Well, also joining us during this segment of the program is Michelle Crowley, who is president of the Greater Carlisle Chamber of Commerce. Ms. Crowley, welcome to the program. Hi, Scott. Also, uh, Shireen Farr is chief operating officer with Cumberland Valley Visitors Bureau. Ms. Farr, welcome to the show. Good morning. All right, so since what we were talking about is uh, welcoming visitors, let's start with uh, tourism. Let's talk about welcoming visitors to Cumberland County. Uh, there is a lot in Cumberland County for visitors to see, for tourists to see. But since we are here at Allenberry, let's talk about what this property brings, what Allenberry brings to tourism in Cumberland County. Well, first off, let me just say that I think the resort, uh, as it's uh, been reinvented uh, back to its original authentic state, it brings an authenticity. Mm. Um, to the Cumberland Valley, which is basically what we market in the Cumberland Valley. You know, we're not a, a single destination place that people come to visit. Uh, the resort here is is one of many uh, authentic experiences that visitors are searching for. Um, like everything else in the valley that we market, it's it's the location of this county. You know, located between the North Mountain and South Mountain, midpoint of the Appalachian Trail, the Yellow Breaches, Latorte. Uh, fly fishing waters, you know, we, we're known for so many fun and enjoyable experiences that this resort just just helps to amplify um, the best of what the Cumberland Valley has to offer. You know, when I think about uh, vacation or uh, a weekend, having a good time, one of the things that often happens is you don't get a chance to relax. But what you just described is or are many ways to to relax. In, in, in Cumberland County, in the Cumberland Valley, that, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to come to Allenberry Resort and not be able to sit, look out over the yellow breaches, and just relax. Exactly, exactly. Um, I've, I've done a lot of, you know, I like to travel uh, personally, and I, and I like to do the, the resort thing. And I've been to a, a fair number of resorts in, in the country and internationally, and honestly, uh, this resort here is very, very special, and it's because everything that you would want to do or not do, it's just right here. You, mm -hmm. you can sit and just enjoy the scenery. You can go out for a hike. You can uh, go for a bike ride. You can uh, walk um, or, or get a, a short ride down to Bowling Springs, you know, Children's Lake. It's just, it's all, it's all here. And with the uh, recent enhancements of uh, the renovated saltwater pool, 
the uh, spa uh, facilities, and there'll be other, you know, team building type activities, you know, for more of the, the active uh, resort uh, visitor uh, that they can participate. And I think it's got a little bit of everything yeah. for everyone. And by the way, for our live audience, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment, there's a microphone right here. You can step up and uh, ask any of our guest questions. Um, so when you talk about marketing Cumberland County, the Cumberland Valley, how do you do that? What's your pitch? Um, our tagline has found it. Um, we are appealing to the, uh, the passionate seeker, the, the collector, the person that likes to discover things, that like to find their it, whatever that it is. Uh, we believe you will find it here in the Cumberland Valley. So we're not, uh, we're not the, the one thing, the same thing to everyone. We're whatever it is you think you're looking for, uh, I would bet that you'll be able to find it here. Is this one of those places that people would be surprised when they come and explore and just have an open mind and they're looking to explore. Is this one of the places that they would, and I'm not just talking about Allenberry, I'm talking about Cumberland, the Cumberland Valley yes. overall, yes. that they would come here and say, oh, I didn't know they had this. Yes, yes. I have run into visitors um, that are in, in gift shops or restaurants and, and I like to chat up people to find out what, what brought them here and, and what they're looking for. And one couple in particular, just a couple weeks ago in, in uh, one of the stores uh, in Bowling Springs, said that what brought them here was they wanted to go to a, um, the, the race car museum uh, mm -hmm. in Dillsburg. And they were staying at Allenberry. And, and she said, we, we Googled. We didn't know where we were going to stay. We just wanted to be in the area, and we thought we'd check it out. And so it was, it was kind of accidental or coincidental that she, that she picked this resort. Uh, it was based on proximity to her end destination. But as I was talking to her, it was very clear that she didn't really know why she was staying here. She came for a, one specific reason. And then when she saw uh, what all more there was to explore and find, that her plan was, we're going to add all these other things um, to the itinerary that weren't originally part of their, their uh, three-day trip. And they were planning on coming back. They were already oh, planning their, their next visit because there was so much other, other stuff that, that they wanted to explore. Mm -hmm. Michelle Crowley is the president of the Greater Carlisle Chamber of Commerce. Michelle, how big of an industry is tourism in the Greater Carlisle area, Cumberland County? I, you know, I, I don't think most people realized how, how great the impact is. And it can be as basic as someone coming in for a one or two business day, business stay. Um, quite frankly, that's tourism well be, as well because they end up staying at our hotels, restaurants, hopefully shopping at some of our retail locations if they have the chance. Um, going the whole way to, you know, if you think about it, the U.S. Army War College has their facility here in Carlisle. Um, they bring in about 80 international fellows on an annual basis. One of my favorite things is every year we get to speak to the incoming class of international fellows. And I always laugh because I'm local and I think I know more than everybody else and gosh darn it, they're gonna to wanna to do this. But they've already done research online. They already know the restaurants in our area. They know so much about the area because of the information that's out there because of websites like Shireen's, um, access to some of the things that we have posted and that kind of thing. So, you know, our area attracts a different type of tourist than even you find in Harrisburg, Lancaster, or York. Carlisle is, if you add the um, Dickinson College, the parents that come here, um, there's, there's a lot of discussion about helicopter parents and what parents do. Now, I think parents do more research on, on where their students are going to, or their children are going to college. We have the, the ballet school, um, Central Penn Youth Ballet is located in Carlisle and has an international following. So we have people, actually those students come, the summer students come for five weeks at a time. Um, every summer, and I'm certain Shireen's office gets them too, we will get a call from a desperate parent saying, where can I stay? My, my child's coming to ballet school. And they don't want to leave them. To me, enhancing Allen Berry and providing a, a venue, a long-term stay venue like this, that's a whole different audience that, that Mike and his team are going to have access to. Well, speak, since you get a chance to speak to uh, those people at the War College that are coming from 80 different countries, do you ever think that uh, you, know, you have the opportunity to influence world policy? 
You know, I'm joking I, with you. Well, no, but I, I got to say, I, I was I was in Carl about a year, and uh, then Commandant at the War College, he introduced me to the, the Secretary of the Army for Great Britain. Huh? Hanging out in Carlisle for the day. <laughs> like, okay. So tourism is just one part of uh, economic development in uh, the Carlisle area and, and Cumberland County. Uh, what are, and you know, I ask this question because those of us who live in central Pennsylvania, a lot of times we take it for granted that we know an area, but then we, we find out we really don't. So what are the biggest money makers here, the biggest industries, uh, the biggest job creators here in Cumberland County? Well, when you look at the list of top employers, and it's fun when you're talking about the county, I, for those of you that don't have the benefit of being in the room with us, Mike and his team and, and his family at Allenberry restored the wall that was in this room, the, the map. So we're technically sitting in the map room. So it's got every township and yeah, municipality in the county. It's just really cool. So that's... Um, so as we talk about the county, and as you're sitting in the room and you look at how diverse our county is, our chamber represents Central Cumberland County. Um, the biggest industries that we see, it's honestly right now it's government between the federal, state, county, and even municipal governments. Um, the military is one of the top employers in our, our region. In fact, um, one of the first meetings that we had at Allenberry in, in early June, um, I know a number of generals and, and leadership from, from the military was here for a meeting. Mm -hmm. So people coming from outside the area to be here for a respective meeting, thanks to the War College. Um, healthcare, obviously, we are, as, as most of us know, within the media in the last year with the transition with all of our healthcare providers locally, um, whether it's the facility, our actual hospital, or the insurance providers that are seeking to have more of an impact on our area, we see that we're a huge transition point. Um, manufacturing and warehousing also are, are big segments of our, our population. We're about two miles down the road from the former PPG plant, uh, Vitro. You know, I, whenever I think of Cumberland County, uh, other than the history and, you know, some of the well-known visitor sites like Allenberry, I think about transportation. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, you know many, many times we've heard, not just here in Cumberland County, but throughout central Pennsylvania, that one of the reasons that so many warehouses, for example, or so many employers want to come to this area is because of the transportation network. But Cumberland County, especially with I-81, 15, uh, you know, the, the the roads that are the major highways that are coming through this mm -hmm. county. Talk about that and, and what a transportation hub Cumberland County is. Well, I'm going to go back to the history for this. Okay, for a go second. ahead. Uh, the Historical Society published a wonderful book. Um, I, I believe it's the Taverns and Roadways of Cumberland County, probably about 10 to 15 years ago. So even as we were talking about William Penn earlier, Cumberland County and Carlisle have always been a hub for commerce. I think you were referencing that, Mike. Um, so... In today's day and age, uh, we've seen, obviously, in the last 15 to 20 years, the growth warehousing and distribution um, because of our access to the larger metropolitan areas. Um, everyone has a different statistic, no matter who you speak to in, in our cycle uh, or in our circle of uh, community and economic developers, but we are within a 10 hours drive of 70% of the U.S. population, which just makes us a hub for so many things. Um, it makes it especially now as you think about it, Amazon locating so many facilities mm -hmm. here, the importance of that. It's not even the, the deeper drive shed, um, like getting into New York and getting into the other cities. It's, it's the local presence that Amazon's even providing to us. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we all kind of don't always like to say when we're selling our air is we say, well, it's only a short drive from New York and Baltimore when you're relocating here. People need to come and stay here, not leave the area. So the you know it's it's we shouldn't be trying to drive people out of the community. We need to keep people to stay here, and that's what Shireen works on. Yeah. And we try to help her with. I want to thank the three of you for being with us this morning. Mike Kennedy is the owner of Allenbury Resort. Michelle Crowley is the president of Greater Carlisle Chamber of Commerce, and Shireen Farr, chief operating officer with the Cumberland Valley Visitors Bureau. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank, thank you. you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality.
Today's Smart Talk Road Trip is supported by Roof Advisory Group, and we always like to thank Roof Advisory Group for supporting our road trips. We always such a, have such a great time, uh, something that we do about once a month, sometimes twice a month, and uh, always a, a good time getting out and getting to see faces. I mentioned to our audience before we started today that usually I'm sitting in a studio, and yes, I have two or three guests in the studio, but it's always fun to get out and have that energy in the room where we have uh, 50 or 60 people. I don't know. They're kind of close, though, aren't they? <laughs> kind of lo looking at us. But, uh, again, thank Roof Advisory Group for supporting Smart Talk Road Trips. Uh, from where I sit, we can see the Yellow Breaches Creek, one of the nation's best-known fly fishing streams. The Yellow Breaches has such a great reputation that when celebrities or even a former president of the United States, they're looking to fly fish, they often choose the Yellow Breaches. We're going to talk about the Yellow Breaches, fly fishing, fishing in general, with Dusty Wismuth, who is manager of the Boiling Springs TCO Fly Shop. Mr. Wismuth, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Great to be here. All right. So let's talk about our location, first of all. Uh, I mentioned that uh, we're, we're within sight of the Yellow Breaches Creek, and I also called it world famous for its, its fly fishing. Why is the Yellow Breaches so famous for its fly fishing? Well, Scott, I think it's, it's several reasons. One is its proximity. Uh, it, uh, it is close to so many wonderful places like the Allen Berry. And, and uh, throughout its history, the Allen Berry has been kind of the focus of, of fly fishing on, uh, on the Yellow Breaches. And uh, another part of it is just uh, where we're located in, in central Pennsylvania. This part of Pennsylvania is really, you could call it, the heart of fly fishing in North America. Um, fly fishing came to North America here and in, in, in the southern Catskills of New York. And so uh, this has always been an extremely important uh, part of fly fishing in the U.S. And um, uh, I think the reason for that is just the ecosystem itself, the, the number of, of uh, fishing resources that we have here, the well-known streams like the Yellow Breaches, uh, the Latorte, Big Spring, Falling Springs further south, but just the, uh, the geology that gives rise to those streams has, has made it uh, sort of the heartbed of, of fly fishing. So let's talk about that ecosystem, uh, not necessarily uh, what forms the creek. In fact, just as a, uh, an aside, I don't know whether you heard this on Smart Talk uh, about a month or so ago. We had a, a couple uh, Penn State, uh, excuse me, professors who had uh, determined where the water source was for uh, the Children's Lake in Boiling Springs. And it was a surprise because it was in Maryland coming north. So just a, as an aside there, but and we're going to be talking about Children's Lake in just a moment. But when you talk about the ecosystem, you're talking about more than just the water, the water quality, uh, where the water comes from, uh, the health of, of the creeks, of those water resources. When you're talking about fly fishing, what about ecosystem? What else that makes uh, Yellow Breaches and those, some of those other streams and creeks uh, unique? Well, it's it's really uh, the the productivity of those streams. Um, just a little bit of scientific background to help uh, in the understanding of that. There's two major types of streams that we fish on, uh, limestone streams and what we call freestone streams. Freestone streams are those that uh, have their origin at higher elevation as a very small um, uh, water source. And then as they run downhill and other tributaries run into them, they get larger and larger. Uh, Typically, they have a little bit lower pH, a little bit more acidic water because of the tannic acid in the coniferous forest they, they, they rise in. Then we have uh, limestone streams, which basically come out of the ground, uh, out of the karst topography, the underlying limestone, uh, as an artesian spring. And they are pretty much the same size from their source all the way down. And we have both in this area. Um, the, the Yellow Breaches is actually a freestone stream. It, it, it has its origin on the north side of South Mountain, um, south of here, and, uh, but it's highly influenced by the limestone streams. So what, what that does is make the water uh, very nutrient-rich, uh, which gives rise to a, a, a great population of aquatic insects, 
which the trout eat, so it supports a large number of trout. All the streams in this area do. Uh, and those uh, aquatic insects, of course, are what we as fly fishermen are imitating. So that is a great explanation for leading into our, our, our next question. As you said, you're imitating those flies. Before we imitate them a little bit, what are some of the insects, some of the flies that the trout do feed on here? Well, there's several major types of aquatic insects, and those, uh, basically, as a, as a definition, or those insects would spend the vast majority of their life cycle subsurface. Mm -hmm. um, mayflies, caddisflies, stoneflies are the uh, major three uh, species that, that we see here, and primarily uh, mayflies and caddisflies in our area. And they, particularly, as uh, an example, a, a mayfly, uh, female lays her eggs on the surface of the water. They sink down to the bottom, and uh, in a couple of weeks, they hatch and do a little microscopic, what we call a nymph. And that nymph spends a year uh, grazing, basically, uh, breathing through gills that are on its abdomen, and it grows larger and larger. And at the end of that year, uh, it swims up to the surface of the water, and it merges in that surface film, and uh, finds a mate, mates, female lays its eggs, and it dies. So it's out of the water for, in most cases, a day as an adult. Uh, and it spends the vast majority of its life there subsurface. All right, so let's talk about imitating those flies. Um, I would assume that, maybe I shouldn't assume, I'll ask you the question, that when you're imitating, you're trying to make your flies look as much like and act as much like those real flies that are only above the surface for a day. How do you do that? Well, you know, that, I think that's one of the things that, that uh, people really love about fly fishing, uh, is that the better student um, of the ecosystem that you are, the better observer mm. you are. Uh, and the, I can tell the, you're a student uh, of that <laughs> ecosystem, that's why I asked the question. Uh, you know, it's just by observation. Uh, and, and one of the things, um, that I think is, is important about this area, too, is the history of the fly tires that, that uh, uh, lived here and still live here. Um, Ed Schenck, Ed Koch, Vince Marinero, Charlie Fox, or some All of the those names. All those names you mentioned, if you go online, these are yes, like legends yes, in fly absolutely, fishing. and in this area. And these men, uh, in, in the uh, middle of the last century, the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, developed uh, flies that were different from the traditional ones uh, formed in England. And just the way that they sat on the water, the, in fact, even the insects that they imitated, uh, the materials that they used to imitate those, those insects uh, were were uh, very new for the for um, the sport at that time. Uh, so so we imitate the insects basically through the materials that we use and through the action of the fly on the water to try to be succinct about it. But it takes a real skill. It takes a real skill. I mean, you not only have to know the ecosystem as you described it, but you're talking about something that is very, very small. And tying a fly is a real skill. I mean, the best ones, anyway. How do you do that? <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? <laughs> practice, <laughs> practice, practice, practice. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it's just uh, uh, an art, uh, a hobby. Uh, all of those things rolled into one. Um, and uh, I started tying flies when I was a kid, and of course they were awful, but uh, I was lucky enough to catch a couple of bluegill on oh, them, so I go. got that positive reinforcement. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the best way is to learn from somebody a lot better than you are. And uh, I was lucky enough to do that. Uh, and, you know, there's just that interest, I think, that, that, that uh, was appealing to me of trying to imitate that, those insects that I'd seen on the water um, with something that I made out of uh, materials that I collected. Um, uh, and like I say, a, a bit of an instruction goes a long way. And fly fishing, as most people know, is a lot different than uh, just getting a, a, a night crawler and putting it on a hook and plopping it in the water and sitting there with a piece of straw hanging out of your mouth. Um, I'm painting a picture of... Uh, <laughs> maybe that's a stereotype. But fly fishing 
is much different, and there's a skill involved there. I mean, casting, uh, you know, bringing in a fish. Talk about that a little bit, the kind of skills and the kind of practice that, that takes. Well, I've, I've been a casting instructor since uh, the mid-'70s, and um, I think that is another one of the things that really draws people to fly fishing. Is it, you said, and you're exactly right, it's, it's a lot different than putting a worm on a hook and watching the bobber till it goes under. Uh, in fly fishing, you are uh, constantly uh, connected to the lure, to the fly that you're using. And you're always an active participant uh, in what's going on. And the major difference, really, between fly fishing and what we'll call conventional fishing is that in, in fly fishing, you're casting the line. The line is the weight in the equation. In conventional fishing, our lure is the weight. And all we need to do is get that lure moving, and it pulls the weightless line off the reel. In fly casting, that fly that we talked about earlier that we're using to imitate that insect uh, weighs virtually nothing. So we can't rely on its weight um, in the equation of casting. So we, uh, we cast that heavy line, and it carries the fly out there. And I think that's one of the things that, that really is appealing to people, is uh, that, that catching a fish is really icing on the cake in, in many uh, cases. The cast itself uh, is something that we all enjoy. Um, and I think that's what made that movie, A River Runs Through It, so uh, wonderful. It made, it made so many people interested in, in fly fishing, was not the fish, it was the cast. And, and uh, I think that's what draws most of us to the sport. Mm. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, there have been a lot of people drawn to the sport who are well-known. President Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. uh, former President Jimmy Carter, used to come here on a regular basis to, to fish the Yellow Breaches. Uh, do you have people... Now, your shop just opened recently, right? Yes, Re about a year and a half right. ago. Right. Uh, but do you have people contacting you from around the country because they know of the Yellow Breaches or know of the other creeks and streams in Cumberland County say, well, you know, I want to fish with the best? <clears throat> yeah, Scott, we do. And I, and I think that's um, to a great extent because of the history of this area, uh, because it really is, as I said, b between uh, central Pennsylvania uh, and the Catskills in New York, really the heart of fly fishing in the U.S. And so many, so much of the history um, is centered here from uh, the, the people that develop the, the flies and the styles of fishing right in this area. So people that are students of the sport want to experience that. They want to fish on the same streams that these guys fished on. So yes, we do have people that contact us from all over the country that are planning a trip here to fish on these streams. Mm. And should mention, uh, you uh, described it as conventional fishing, but uh, right outside uh, Allenberry, there is a uh, catch and release point for uh, for trout, brown trout, uh, mostly here in, uh, in central Pennsylvania. Uh, Dusty Wismith is the manager of the Boiling Springs TCO Fly Shop. Interesting, fascinating. Thank you very much for being with us Thank today. you, Scott. It's a pleasure. You're listening to WITF uh, Smart Talk on WITF, I should say. I do this every day, and I screw it up every once in a while. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Allenberry Resort. I'm Scott Lamar. We are on a Smart Talk road trip and want to thank Roof Advisory Group for their support of Smart Talk road trips. Just having a fantastic time here at Allenberry Resort, uh, talking about fly fishing. We talked a little bit about history, economic development, uh, tourism here in Cumberland County. Uh, but Something else that I mentioned a few minutes ago about Children's Lake in Boiling Springs, one of the real gems in uh, Cumberland County. Uh, you know, we discussed the recent discovery, the source of the water for the lake. It surprised some that the source is in Maryland. However, Children's Lake is not as healthy as it once was. The water level is down, and a dam is in disrepair. A fundraising campaign called Save the Lake in Boiling Springs is underway to bring the lake back. Joining us is Jury Hansen, who is one of the co-chairs of the Save the Lake campaign. Ms. Hansen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. And also sticking with us at this time is uh, Dusty Wismith, uh, the manager of Boiling Springs TCO Fly Shop, who we just spoke to, uh, also involved in uh, Save the Lake. So, Dusty, Thank you for being for staying along with us for, for a while. Glad to still be here. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I like that. Still be here. <laughs> uh, so, Jerry, let's talk a little bit about the, the campaign. I mentioned that uh, the water level's down at Children's Lake, that there's a dam that's in disrepair. What's the genesis of this campaign? Well, we're really a grassroots effort. Um, we wanted to get the word out about the lake, but Fish and Boat Commission actually is uh, stewards of the lake, and they do that on behalf of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I had no idea that their budget is very year-to-year and is very um, dependent on the state budget. And the uh, state legislature. And the state legislature, which we are... You can hear every day there's a different, you know, take on, on where oh, we are yeah. with state budget, and I think that everybody would like to see a budget passed um, uh, this year. But um, we did. We, we started off as a, a grassroots campaign to advocate uh, for our lake because we are unique. And uh, uh, not a lot of people realize We already talked about the springs. There are 20-plus springs that feed the lake. So if the lake wasn't a lake anymore, you would still have 20-plus springs that would be pumping 22 million gallons a day into the yellow breaches. So you can see how we are so connected. So these yellow breaches, this stream system that is, uh, that is so important in this area and so important for the fisheries side of things and the general ecosystem, you know, there's a huge part that the very center of our town plays a part in, and that is the lake. But uh, the lake is actually, uh, it was dammed in the 1750s. This was still a frontier area. And the, la- the lake was dammed in the 1750s. And the water power from that lake is the genesis, the reason that the iron furnace gets built. And that is the beginnings of our town, Boiling Springs, and the settlement there. So you can imagine that you know, the lake really is the very center of town. And ironically, it's still the center today. So it's, you know, it's such a neat thing. But the, the, the dam needs to be redesigned and also replaced. And those are two important things. It takes about $400,000 to do that. Well, let's take it one at a time. I mentioned that the water level is down. How much is it down since when? Uh, about a year. And it's, uh, it's been a little bit over a year. Uh, we had a sinkhole that developed um, down near the grist mill, which is near the dam. And... Um, uh, they went down, and it, it was really growing rapidly overnight. They lowered the water level, and that actually stopped some of the seepage, and they put a temporary repair um, in the sinkhole. And so thankfully, we haven't had more problems with that. Um, but they also did a dam inspection, and so that was last June. And when they did the dam inspection, they diverted the water around to a, a, a different area. They went underneath. The, there's a road that's actually on top of the dam, and when they went down there, they put a metal rod into the sidewall to check uh, and see how far it could insert. And it, it went in three and a half feet, where it should wow. be zero. And so what you have is a very porous dam structure. And so the sinkhole uh, probably developed from water seeping through the dam. And there's a tunneling effect, a spiral effect that happens as that water's traveling. And so that's why it was developing so quickly. So the dam repair is the most costly, right? Yes, absolutely. How much is that? One point eight is the one point eight million is the minimum so uh, estimate. You said something that would be probably uh, frightening to a lot of people who love children's like love Bullion Springs. If there was no lake, I mean, if that dam isn't repaired, if that sinkhole isn't repaired, the water seeps away. Mm-hmm. Is there the possibility there would be no lake? There is. There is. And, uh, you know, we're really only one bad dam inspection away. Okay. Now, is that DAM? <laughs> I leave that to you. Okay. All right. Okay. I leave that to you. One bad dam inspection right, okay. away from draining the lake. You probably and, have used that before, haven't you? And, and you know, it, it, there's a couple of things. We're a really unique lake, but at the same time, I also realize that we are not a high hazard or a high risk dam. And so, as I said, dam again. No, that's all right. That's fine. <laughs> It's all context. <laughs> so you know, that was another aspect of realizing that, that this town needed to organize and we needed to do something because we don't hit either one of these categories which would put us higher on the normal budgetary process. Right. So when you say that you're not a high risk, meaning that uh, if the dam were to fail, 
it wouldn't be like a Johnstown. I know that's extremes right. where there's water rolling downhill and flooding boiling springs or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, I had an idea of putting a tiny house down there at the run, and <laughs> you know, maybe if something happened. I think you should do that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, fishing fish boat looked at me. <laughs> so, so, Dusty, <laughs> you know, we talked about ecosystem. All this is interconnected. So, the lake, the dam being in disrepair, the lake in uh, potential danger, what's that do to uh, the ecosystem here? Well, it, it certainly is. Uh, it could have a, a detrimental effect on it. And, and as Jury said, the 22 million gallons a day uh, from the spring at the farm's boiling springs goes right into uh, the yellow breaches. So it's a major uh, source of water for the breaches. And, you know, it's going to get there one way or another. But I think, uh, as Jory's pointed out, the, the, the historic significance of the lake is, is what's really critical uh, to this area. And, and uh, our shop is located right, literally right on the lake. And in the last century, early part of the last century, they used to have rowboats on the lake. So we brought those back. We've, we've got uh, four boats that were built by a wonderful craftsman in New Hampshire that modeled after the, the original ones. And we're going to allow people to, to use those on the lake. So there's just that whole historical importance uh, uh, that would be a shame uh, to lose. It's got to dovetail on the ecosystem side of things. We have a tremendous amount of silt that has built up in the lake. And from an ecosystem standpoint, if all of a sudden we drain the lake, what are we going to do with all that silt and sediment that's there? Every major rain event is going to take that and wash it right down into the yellow breaches. So you have an unknown effect on ecosystem. And as Dusty so um, wonderfully walked you through the life cycle of a fly, <laughs> it really does have an impact. Uh, you know, when you look at it, it's not just, oh, it just it flushed down, you know, like the toilet. It's more than that. It's more than that. Well, Joey and I were talking uh, before we started here. Another important thing in the ecosystem aspect of the lake is for migratory waterfowl. Um, uh, in this flyway, uh, that lake, Children's Lake, is one of the few places that doesn't freeze in a really cold weather because of the spring that, that's coming out at 56 degrees. Right. So it keeps that lake open. So migratory birds can rest there on their way south. And so that's of, of really critical importance in this flyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, Jerry, that you brought up the silt and the sediment part because uh, whenever we have this conversation about uh, waterways in, in Pennsylvania, ultimately we talk about Chesapeake Bay. Chesapeake Bay cleanup. I mean, we've talked about that very often mm -hmm. uh, on Smart Talk. It is one of the big projects, not just in central Pennsylvania, but, uh, you know, seven different states, District of Columbia. And what you're describing with silt and settlement, sediment is, you know, it's one lake going into a stream that drains into the Susquehanna River that drains into the Chesapeake Bay. Yes. So everything, and we're talking about migratory birds, it's all related. It's all interconnected. Right. And to add to that, our high school stormwater, our neighborhood stormwater, all drains into the lake, which then drains into the Yellow Breaches. And so the silt that we're talking about cleaning up, we have this tandem effort with South Middleton Township um, where they've just purchased the bubble, which is one-third or two-thirds of the springs, the natural springs that are flowing in there, they're actually going to build a catch basin. So not only are we looking to address the silt that's already built up in there, but we're already working on, a, on a, a, an effort in tandem with South Milton Township to keep the silt from going in there. So I feel like we just have this opportunity to really reset Boiling Springs. Um, you know, the Children's Lake... We can work on cover and concealment, and we have a problem with some kind of invasive grasses, aquatic grasses that are in there. We can reset that, and it's so neat that Fish and Boat Commission actually has the expertise. They have a habitat branch that we can leverage, and I just feel like our time is really, really close to coming. All right, well, let's talk about money. I mean, it's a fundraising campaign, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but the legislature... 
we do not have a final state budget. Money has been appropriated, correct, for this project? Is that correct? Uh, we have 400000 that has been committed, which would get the engineering study okay. uh, underway. That Some of those monies are Fish and Boat Commission. The money won't be released yet for that until this bill for $2.4 million earmarked for Children's Lake is passed. So we're kind of in this, we, we need the budget to come through, and then 651, which passed the Senate, 50 votes to zero, um, has Children's Lake in their $2.4 million. Okay, so... Uh, it goes to House Appropriations Committee. It's already there for consideration. House Appropriations Committee passes it. It goes to the House for the House vote, and then it goes to the governor to release the funds. Okay. We have about a minute left. I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, private fundraising. What are you doing in that area? We have uh, we have lawn signs, Save the Lake lawn signs. And um, if you don't have a lawn, you can just put it in your window. You don't have to use the stand. <laughs> or a planter is, is fantastic. But actually, it's wonderful that, that Dusty stayed on here because TCO and Village Artisans are two of the local shops in town that are carrying them. Um, so you can buy a lawn sign. You can buy a Gerald Putt T-shirt. And then we also have Gerald Putt prints that are out and for sale. So we've got a flyer on there. But you can get more information at bsvillager.com. Um, I'm not really, really great at updating the website. Um, <laughs> I'm just not quite as skilled as I should be. So um, even better is Facebook. Save the Lake on Facebook. And all your likes and all your interests, it really does matter. I want to thank uh, both of you for being with us today. Uh, Jerry Hansen is with the, the Save the Lake campaign, and so is Dusty Wismuth, the manager of the Bullion Springs TCO Fly Shop. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much, Scott. And I want to thank everyone for being here for their Smart Talk Road Trip. Had a great time at Allenberry Resort. I encourage you to stop by, and uh, whether you're spending a weekend, having dinner, just looking around, just a, a beautiful location. I'm going to take a walk down to uh, the Yellow Breaches here in, uh, in, in just a moment. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program. We're going to talk a little bit about DACA. That is coming up on uh, tomorrow's program. And I should also mention that our program today is supported by Roof Advisory Group. I'm Scott Lamar. Have yourself a good day. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health. Its 11 principal investigators and nine nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart.